0: Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. The Popham Colony, also known as the Sagadahoc Colony, was established in 1607 and was located in the present-day town of Fitzburg, Maine, near the mouth of the Kennebec River. It was founded a few months after its rival, the Colony of Jamestown. The Popham Colony was the second settlement in the region that would eventually become known as New England. The first colony was Saint-Croix Island, near what is now the town of Calais. Saint-Croix Island was settled initially in June 1604, then moved in 1605 by Samuel de Champlain to the Bay of Fundy. Eric Yanis of the Other States of America podcast continues his telling of this incredible story.
1: In the year 1607, Sir John Popham and Sir Ferdinando Gorges put together another colonial scheme to pick up where the other one had fallen apart the year before. Now, I believe Ferdinando Gorges has had his legacy or his influence kind of overlooked by historians. And one reason right here is that we know this colony as the Popham Colony. There's other names for it. An easily defensible peninsula called Sabino Head on the Sagadahawk River. The Popham Colony, or the Sagadahawk Colony. But it's the Popham Colony, named after Sir John Popham. And that's because, after losing so much money in 1606, it was Popham who really had most of the money for the 1607 endeavor. But Gorges was also a major financier and organizer The second reason on this specific issue of the Popham colony that Gorgeous has kind of forgotten is that the leader of the Popham colony on the ground in the colony is going to be Sir John Popham's wayward nephew, the -the over-the-hill, underperforming, underachieving, sickly George Popham. So for those two reasons, that's why we tend to call this the Popham colony. Both the money and the supposed leadership on the ground came from the Popham family. Now, some sources say that George Popham was elected president of the Popham colony. This makes no sense whatsoever. This isn't a democracy. Popham and Gorges have paid for this thing to be set up, and Popham placed his own nephew in charge. Now, did Gorges, Popham, and any minor investors, did they elect as essentially shareholders in the venture? George Popham, yeah, you could use that word election, but we're not talking about a democracy. This is a business still in the age of monarchies. As such, other than George Popham, the government was kind of nebulous. There would be assistant presidents, as Popham saw fit, one of which was probably insisted on by Gorges, and that was Riley Gilbert. That's right, son of Sir Humphrey Gilbert, half-nephew of Sir Walter Riley. Riley Gilbert may have been part of Gosnold's colony. We know his brother definitely was, Bartholomew Gosnold. Now, poor Bartholomew was not part of Popham, Because in 1603, before losing his rights and privileges, his uncle, Sir Walter Riley, sent him on one last futile attempt to find the Roanoke colonists. Which, to no one's surprise if you know the story of Roanoke, he did not find. But he did meet his maker there, so there is that. And so it's highly likely that Riley Gilbert also had experience in the New World, where George Popham did not. Just to circle back to George Popham. There's no way he went along with this venture as just another colonist and then was elected president. He was an older man from a well-connected family who was sickly, as I said before. He wouldn't just sign up to be the everyday riffraff on the ground. He was placed in that leadership position before ever stepping on the boat to head toward this new world. This wasn't a democracy, even though we had this title of president and assistant president in the little tiny colony. These were positions they would essentially be appointed to ahead of time. The colonists on the ground, it wouldn't be proper for them to hold elections. This wasn't a municipality that they were living and working in. This was a business from which they were employed. You usually can't elect your own boss. And this kind of setup is pretty much consistent with the early French colonies and the colony of New Netherland. And what was the business of this colony? Well, of course, they were to engage in the fur trade and fishing operations. Timber, when they got the chance. Those were the safe, easy plays. They were also to look for mines of gold, silver, and copper. There was always the outside chance they would find a Northwest Passage. The captive natives always telling the Europeans what they wanted to hear. The area we call Maine, that they would have called Northern Virginia, already had practical products they could make money off of. Proven reserves of fish, large forests, things like that. But then there were also all of these fantastical things that of course weren't there. But when asked, the natives would say, yes... They're gold mines. Yeah. Oh, I know exactly where they are. They're uh, to the west of my homeland. If you bring me home, I'll show you exactly where they are. All of this really made the Plymouth Company far more attractive of a place to invest your money than, I believe, the Virginia Company of London. Maine had some proven but not exciting products and a lot of promises. Virginia and the South in general had already some dark stories and some certainly dark mysteries. And so while Ferdinando Gorges mostly feared the French, as far as his company was concerned, because Champlain and others had already set up colonies in the area that we would now call New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Maine, in and around there, St. Croix and Port Royal, he also was very much afraid of the competitive threat of the London Company, because again, they did overlap their claims by three degrees, and if something were to happen to the one company, the surviving company would be the heir apparent, essentially, to those claims. But even the mere failure of a venture like this Popham colony would cause investors to flee from one company to another. And so even the 1606 schemes fell apart. In 1607, Popham and Gorges have regathered everything, reorganized everything, and are ready to start a colony. The real money and energy and enthusiasm was with Popham colony, not with the Jamestown colony. And the last concern that Gorges had was over the cooperation of the natives in the area. Considering several of the natives have been kidnapped over the years by his employees by the time Riley and Popham are in their boats, ready to go over to the New World, all of those natives have either been returned or are returning with these two gentlemen, and hopefully the good treatment will make up for the kidnapping. There's really no other way to put it. John's nephew George and Riley Gilbert would take two ships, either May 31st of 1607 or early June of 1607. The two ships were the Gift of God and the Mary and John. Riley Gilbert was generally in command while they were at sea, due to his experience. But as soon as they hit land and the colony officially founded, it was understood that George Popham would assume his position as president and thus be in charge of everyone. And so begins the rivalry between these two men. Before they even have a colony to fight over, all the sources refer to George Popham. We've talked about his health and his age and whatnot. But due to all those things, he was not a capable leader. And this might be an unfair assessment. His rival and assistant, Riley Gilbert, had a similarly prestigious background. And he may have had a bit of a chip on his shoulder. Just to review, his father, at least in his eyes, began English colonization of North America. In Newfoundland, decades before this time, his uncle Sir Walter Riley, and he would start the second English colony, in North America, Newfoundland being an island, probably actually the first English colony on the mainland, which would, of course, be Roanoke. And with Roanoke came the invention of Virginia as this large, expansive territory named after the Virgin Queen Elizabeth I. His uncle losing these privileges, now he finds himself as part of this new company, this Plymouth Company. Obviously, having not invested as much capital into the venture as the Pophams had, he had a subservient role. But beyond the money, he must have been like, my family's been doing this for decades. This is kind of part of what we do. Also, as I've already mentioned, it's likely Riley Gilbert had already been to North America, whereas George Popham had not. And then lastly, discussing that chip on his shoulder, Riley Gilbert was far younger than George Popham, a better leader, more energetic. He had plans. The guy had moxie. And so with that, we have a president who can't preside, and an assistant who can't assist, or is unwilling to assist. The first crack has formed. Below the leadership, there were a hundred men. That's right, they were all men. It's said that all of Plymouth came out to see these ships off. It was a big deal. A lot of people in that area had a lot of money wrapped up into it, and a lot of family members, frankly. It's likely that Sir John Popham himself was even there. And it may have been the last trip the man ever took, because 11 days after the colonists leave Plymouth for the New World... John Popham dies, June 10th, 1607. The main financial backer of the colony is no more. However, this was a man of letters, a man of law and justice. This wasn't a colonizer. This wasn't an organizer. He was no sailor or explorer, his money having already been doled out, at least for this season. So who stepped in to fill his void? Well, Sir Ferdinando Gorges, of course. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which
0: has accompanying images. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride.